Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosso. It gives me great pleasure. In fact, it gives me extreme great pleasure to, to welcome Kevin Sheedy, uh, who's a legendary AFL player, coach, ambassador, author now, raconteur, one of the most inspirational and colourful characters in Australian sport. I could go on, but I think there wouldn't be a person in Australia who doesn't know Kevin Sheedy. Just published... Uh, his new book, Icons of Sport, The Greatest Australian Sports People of My Lifetime. It's by a firm press. It's been it's out since the ninth. It's hot off the press, thirty nine ninety nine hardback, and it's an absolutely beautiful book. And I've got my copy here and one day I'll harass a Sheedy into autographing it. But firstly, welcome to Viewpoints, Kevin Sheedy. No, great to be on and uh, thanks very much for um, giving me the time to be honest, yeah. My pleasure, Kevin. Um, now, you're described as one of the most colourful characters in Australian sport. How does that description sit with you? Oh, look, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, you wouldn't have thought so when I was coaching, I can tell you, but anyway. I like, I like to put a little bit of flair into my life. Um, you know, life sort of can be boring. I promise myself never to be a boring person, so I want to make sure that that was never going to happen. So whether you make it colourful or different or whatever it is, but um, I look at life a little bit differently than the norm, I'd say. Mm, and I'd say that's a good thing, Kevin. Um, now, now I can't help but using a few. I played a lot of football, played uh, VFA football, never got to your level. Probably, thank goodness, I wouldn't have wanted to be playing on you, but using a couple of footy metaphors. Being interviewed for the books, you're on the treadmill here. It's one after the other. It's a great book, um, lots of these. How does interviewing for your books compare with the treadmill of press conferences and after-match conferences when you're a footy coach? Well, actually, it's a lot different. Um, I, I try to get into the person who I'm interviewing, particularly, you know, <clears throat> incredibly talented people that showed an enormous amount of courage. Um, I mean, interviewing Jessica Watson on how she handled sailing around the world as a 16-year-old is... Um, Look, a, a bit difficult to be honest, but it was good. It was good, and, and you kind of keep learning yourself and developing yourself. Whether you write or whether you coach or you're on TV or you're at the coaching conferences, because we used to have about four of those a week. Um, so no, I've enjoyed it. I mean, John Bertram's interview was incredible uh, to me from a learning experience, even at my age. What you have to do to prepare to to try and defeat America in the America's Cup, and, and this book probably came about by. John Bertrand, because a group of young people did not know who he was and what he had done. So I thought, well, look, I'm going to sort this out and just go into my memory bank and pick out of each decade uh, some of the greats who have performed incredibly in my lifetime. And it probably starts around, you know, the tennis and the Olympics in 56. Mm, absolutely. Now, I couldn't help but think, just to finish off with the footy um, metaphors, Kevin, um, you've compiled a list there. It's a great list. Um, there's a hell of a lot of good people who didn't make that list. And I, I, I just wondered, how hard was it leaving some out compared to when you pick footy teams um, and you've got to leave people out, great players out, and especially when it comes around to finals time, some good people get left out. How did you feel? Any comparisons there? Well, look, I look back at it and I, took, I just thought to myself, well, look, I mean, I'm a great lover of Richie Benno. I always admired him and 
and obviously Dennis Lilly. So I could do another book and place it in its correct position as icons do. Um, some of the iconic moments are not about the person, how great they were. It was the moment that in my lifetime, like Rick McCosker going out to bat in the centenary test with a broken jaw is an iconic moment. He's not as great a player as Dennis Lilly or Richie Benno, if you know what I mean. Mm, mm. But the moments also grab your attention that people show an enormous amount of courage or belief that they can handle this position they're being thrust upon them because of, say, maybe an injury. I mean, even Jessica Watson nearly got smashed by a ship in the shipping lane the first time she tried to sail around the world when she went out of the Sydney Heads. So had to go back and reconstruct and help with a group of people, the boat or the yacht again. So that's courage in itself, let alone sailing around the world, you know. So all of these sorts of things are reasons why I picked them ahead of maybe someone else at the time. But, you know, I could pick another 28 and they'll have magnificent stories too. But the book's big enough and heavy enough as it is. I didn't want to have 56 or 60, you know. <laughs> no, I liked your, your the way you did it. You've found different reasons, qualities in the people, and as you say, the moment for inspiring the selecting of an icon. I was really intrigued with what you said there. You said when you work on a book like this, you realise that before you put pen to paper or fingers to the keyboard, there have already been a lot of subliminal thoughts about the people you end up including. Um, so obviously... There are emotional reasons, psychological reasons why people are in there quite apart, as you said, from their um, their actual performance. Um, which ones had a great impact on you? I mean, obviously those did in, in certain moments of your life more than others. I would say my very early formative years, basically between maybe just say 10 and 25, I, I reckon that um, I think even Gulagong, um, playing Margaret Court in the Wimbledon final, where two girls come from out of the country of New South Wales, Aubrey, a non-Indigenous girl, and obviously Yvonne from Barellan. They live two and a half hours apart, and here they are playing on Wimbledon Centre Court for the final. Amazing story. Absolutely. It's an amazing story. So in the, in the early days of my life, everybody kept telling me that Indigenous people don't have the dedication, they, they struggle to travel, they don't like to move out of their own, all that sort of stuff. They gave me every absolute negative of all time. And, of course, at the same time, I'm, I'm watching a kid called Lionel Rose jump out of the ground out at uh, Druin and Warrigal region. And this is where people never got on planes, hardly ever, ever. And he goes over, he gets ignored and drops out of selection for the 64 Tokyo Olympics. And by 1968, he goes back into Tokyo and beats fighting Harada for the world title. Now, that's an incredible comeback. Shattered, disappointed. So he leaves the Amateur ranks and becomes a professional and beats the world champion. And fighting Harada was one of the great world champions. Mm. And there's a little Aboriginal kid from out the back, back streets of the uh, Druin and Warrigal. So that's an amazing story. And these two Aboriginal people is whenever we just remember a lot of this country wouldn't allow Aboriginals to be allowed to vote up until around the period. So this is a this is an extremely historical period and um, I believe performances like that may have shaken up a little bit of the government people that were running our country in that period. 
particularly in the 60s. Uh, Polly Farmer was captain of Geelong Premiership and not allowed to vote, an Indigenous person. So I was looking at this as a very young person saying, well, this is incredible, you know. Why are we doing this and how do we make those decisions? So the book actually doesn't explain all of that, obviously, but to me it's a very deep book on what impressed me. And, of course, when I started coaching, I started recruiting Aboriginal players. Mm, and I'm glad you mentioned Lionel because I grew up in Warrigal and I remember, oh, right. yeah, I knew the, I, I went to school with his wife, uh, Jenny Oakes, his first day. Oh, coach, yes, that's yeah. good. Yeah. And I, his coach? I, yes, he coached him to start with. And I went to the Lord Mayor's camp uh, in, in down and around oh, the Yeah, yeah. I, all the kids who didn't have a lot of money went there. And I can remember Lionel in the final of his uh, match he took on boxing. I, he was only 10 in his knee. I had a grasshopper. He, play, he fought this kid from Wangaratta and I thought my god you are good and you're right he came from a hut in Labatouche area Warrigal yes. Druin and there are, on the highway yeah down the, the highway. highway and so Burn off at Labatouche yeah sounds yeah like a French, sounds like a French winery <laughs> it, 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 it certainly does. Now, you do say also in your book, um, and I believe you, you've obviously thought about this, so there are certain champions such as Betty Cuthbert, Dawn Fraser, Kathy Freeman, you know, iconic uh, people. None of them is a statue outside the Olympic Stadium in Sydney. Uh, and you can't believe we don't do more to one of these three magnificent Australian leaders in sport. Um, it's funny because Australia's known as a sporting nation that punches above its weight in many areas and yet there's scope for your book with so much that's not known about them how do you reconcile that oh definitely i think kathy um i think kathy freeman should be definitely outside where she lit the olympic flame in sydney in 2000 i was there i saw a race um her performance was uh, just an incredible for a young girl from up in northern australia just out of Mackay. um yeah, I look. I just give great credit to these people. You know, the pressure on on one person to start the Olympics is a little bit of a hiccup with one of the cogs in the um, the lighting and the flames. She held the he, she held her nerve so well for the finally kick on the flame, and then after that pressure, had to go out and win and expected to win the gold medal, which doesn't always happen. It does not always happen, and she did. No, there's no guarantees. You're so right. Now, now, now for the oldies, I'm older, obviously. <laughs> so are you, Kevin, now. Um, 95's old. <laughs> I said I'm older, not mind. old. In my diary, 95 is old. And, and try and get there and have a great time getting there. And if you get past there, well, well done. It's a bonus. Now, you include Cliff Young. Now, you describe him as the most unlikely provider of a golden iconic moment of Australian sport in your lifetime. You might like to just elaborate on him a little bit. For those of us that are aiming for 95. (laughs) Well, Cliff Young ran and beat the professional athletes of that era in a contest between Westfield in Sydney to Westfield in Melbourne. And he was in his 60s. It's the same reason I put Pagan in the book as a horse trainer who got his racing, oh, sorry, um, uh, trainer's licence in his 70s. So I'm differentiating here between you can still really do well in your 60s and 70s if if your attitude is um, great. And, of course, Cliff Young won. While the others were sleeping, he kept running. Absolutely. Interesting. So if you drop off the perch... 
then the other guy's going to beat you. And, and these are the sorts of things that, uh, you know, I mean, I coached well into my 60s. Yeah. And uh, though I found them very inspirational, all these stories. But I've kept them all my life. So I, I know normally what I've – and when I've used them, I mean, David Flintoff, you know, like she won on the last step. So she was sixth at the halfway mark and won on the last step. So there's a classic example of the next 200 metres – she had to catch up an enormous amount of distance and won on the last step. Now, that is an incredible win. Absolutely. I'm glad you were so magnanimous to put Dennis Pagan in there because I can remember going to football matches and there was a time there where, where North Melbourne and uh, Essendon, um, you know, uh, there was... We were dancing that of... well together. <laughs> you probably didn't go out for tea with each other. What struck you about Dennis Pagan? Oh, well, Dennis, Dennis and I played against each other at uh, school. Uh, he played at uh, Collingwood Tech and I played at Pran Tech with Kevin Bartlett, so we're the same age. Um, he ended up at a back pocket player. Um, he played for Victoria. A lot of people wouldn't know that, um, and so did I, obviously. So we had careers very similar, and um, when they got rid of the under-19s, I rang him up and offered him the second job reserves assistant coach at Essendon, in which he took. So... He was my apprentice there for a little while, <laughs> and then he um, and then he uh, courteously took over four grand final appearances and said goodbye, Kev. But mm. I always admire the guy because uh, he got the best out of himself, and you know, by the time he's turned seventy, he's fought very hard to get a trainer's license where the racing um, establishment were not keen to give him that license, but in the end, um, they did reluctantly. And, of course, that's in the interview that I spoke with him. And, of course, he ends up winning the derby in his uh, probably 72nd or third year. So what a marvellous performance that is. Absolutely. Another one you included there, you, and you said you could have included this person on their record only, but you took other qualities into it. Bart Cummings wasn't just he's possibly the greatest trainer. There was something no. else about that man. Well, I, I used to just every now and then, sidle up around when they get down to the race in spring carnival and awkward quiet person to talk to but the couple of times we had dinner um in a casino it was and uh, he won the cup and i probably may have won a grand final around one of the periods of similar similar time and um you know i just i just said i couldn't help myself i love asking people so was, you know you talk about doing talk about doing interviews in the book i've got no problem with asking people questions but um it, it, I just said, what's what's in a, what is one of the skills or one of the, you know, skill sets that no one knows you really got because you don't say much, you're very quiet, and um, this could be one point that you think you're pretty good at that no one ever would pick up. And he said, well, I I think that observation is one of my best. Mm. That stunned me a bit because I thought you know it'd be something about a horse here or. Training there, or you know, training how many times you you know put it, how many runs you put into a horse, all that sort. No, no. I said, well, why is observation um, one of your best skills? He said, because the horse can't talk. Hmm. And I thought, what a great answer that is. <laughs> it was an answer that I just didn't expect. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Henry, when you when you're meeting these people, they're going to teach you something, and, and this book's about. Collecting information that's probably inspired me in my lifetime, and then giving it to other people. Well, I think I think great leaders should, you know, 
chase knowledge and share it. That's what I think should happen. Absolutely, Kevin. It's a great note on which to finish. And, and I thought it was very humble of you. I mean, people look at people such as Kevin Sheedy and, you know, you're, you're, a, you're an iconic person in our sport and a lot of people take a lot of notice of what you say. And to hear that you say you've grown and learned from being with these people, uh, it, it's it, that of itself, I think, Kevin, is inspiring to people who can't see... Uh, much change or inspiration or excitement in their lives. There's always that opportunity, and, you know, I want to honour you for that. Well, it's it's something I learned from, uh, you know, people I've met early in my life. I'm, you know, Australian people. I mean, how, I'm, I'm, this book is a part of defining how do you define the Australian spirit. You hear it, you read about it, they sing it, but tell me actually what it is. <clears throat> and um, so I'm investigating that when I do these books. Absolutely, and I want to not only congratulate you, but thank you for, write, for, for writing the books. You've written quite a few books now. I um, don't know whether you're a better coach or a better writer, but I'll, that's a question for another time, Kevin. Can I, can I thank you so much for your time? And uh, I'm sure this beautiful, handsome book, uh, which is out now, published by a firm press, Icons of Sport, the greatest Australian sports people of Kevin Sheedy's lifetime, will, I can't imagine it won't be an enduring bestseller, mate. Thanks, Henry. Look, I've got a good following at the moment. I've sold all my other books, and um, which gives me a little bit of confidence to know that I'm on the money in regard to what people want to read and, and give us gifts. So, look to me, I, I've got a fantastic. I've got two or three libraries here. I've been running around the world most of my life chasing and buying books. <laughs> That's my, my wife's sick of it. <laughs> well, as long as that's all she's sick of, Kevin, she's yeah, still uh, with you. <laughs> all right, you, you can sack me any day. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but look, it's been a lot of fun. And, um, and really, in COVID, when everybody's sitting with negative floating around their life, this is quite inspirational. And I thought, well, out of a negative in COVID, um, let's get it right. And it's that attitude that made you such a great player and successful coach. By the way, you were never a person who inspired for one particular quality. You were the utility player, as I saw it. You know, the fellow who could play anywhere and everywhere. And and those sort of people in life, and you're now doing it here, are, are bonuses. Once again, can I thank you? No worries. Thank you, Henry. That was Kevin Sheedy, Icons of Australian Sport, published by Affirm Press. It's out now. It's a great read. And it's not just a great read. It's a great inspiration. Listeners, we'll take a short break. Don't go away. 